So the reason that um, Bob isn't here today is that he's attending the memorial service of his very first Dharma teacher, which is very sweet and touching, right? That whoever that person is for us is very special and will always have a certain place in our heart. Even if you ended up in conflict with that person or you've had 17 Dharma teachers, there's something about that first one. And I was looking through, um, thinking about what to talk about, and I came across this um, poem that's about an obituary headline, so I thought that might be appropriate. And it's also about the Super Bowl, and isn't that coming up in a couple weeks? So somehow it all fit. Um, It has a long title. It's called, After My Friend Phyllis Shows Me the New York Times Obituary Headline, Lou Michaels, all-purpose player, dies at 80, missed kicks in 69 Super Bowl. When I die, let them write about all the mistakes I've made. Let them mention in the headlines how many rejection letters I've received from the sun. Let them say, missed her calling for Broadway back in 1987. Let them say, she trained hard but never won a Nordic skate race. They can note how my children fought in front of company, how every chocolate cake I made sank in the center, how the beets in my garden were never bigger than golf balls, how I never even watched the Super Bowl, much less knew who played for the Colts back in 1969 while I was still forming in my mother's womb and Lou Michaels missed two field goals that helped the Jets win. What do any of us really accomplish? My friend Wayne says, we do what we can and have mercy. Yes, mercy on us, mercy on all our failing little hearts, how they beat so sincerely Mercy on this longing to shine, this reminder again to kneel. So how many of you are concerned about what might be written in your obituary? (laughs) What if they write about that time that, you know, such and such? You won't know, don't worry. But this points toward a very deep tendency in our mind, right? The tendency to judge ourselves in some way and to evaluate. Did I do good? Did I mess up? Oh no, you know, this this continual sense of what is essentially comparison. You know, comparing ourselves either to others or to some ideal uh, is very common. And actually, um, the Buddha knew about it. It was called, he called it conceit. And we have a little bit different meaning, maybe, of conceit in our psychological understanding. It tends to mean, in the Western, in Western psychology, only a sense of superiority. And of course, that is an issue. Um, here's a, uh, from the suttas. Settling on her own as supreme among views, whatever a person esteems as best in the world, in comparison, she says all others are inferior. 
Therefore, she has not transcended disputes. Whatever benefit one sees for oneself in the world, one regards all else as inferior. The skilled speak of that as a knot when one is attached and regards others as inferior. So there's a lot of um, emphasis in this discourse on the superior aspect of conceit and, you know, of kind of building ourselves up, wanting to be the best, deciding that others aren't quite as good. We might not be so blunt about it, but what about in our mind, right? If we're honest. But then the, there's a little change, and um, the sutta goes on to say, one should not take oneself as equal or think of oneself as inferior or superior. So it goes on to give the full definition of conceit, which is any kind, any kind of comparison. So maybe the inferior one is one that we can more identify with, the sense that others are better than me in certain ways. You know, they, they seem socially more adept. They seem smarter. They're better with the computer. Um, I don't know. Whatever it is, pick your favorite. This tendency also is called conceit because we have um, created ourselves as a person that's compared to somebody else. It's actually pretty much the equivalent of the superior in, in terms of how the Buddha thought of it. So uh, this idea that we should lower ourselves and you know reserve all the praise for others, it can be a training practice. If one has a tendency towards superior conceit, that can be a helpful way to train the mind away from it. But my experience is that the two of them tend to go together anyway. Um, you know, that if we have a tendency to toward uh, shame in some way, somewhere else we have a tendency toward pride. You know, they, you can't have one without the other in some way. And so um, we tend then maybe to to not see, you know, not see the inferiority conceit. I read an interesting article recently that was about inequality in pay, and it uh, was a study on how people uh, saw themselves once they found out where they ranked on a certain pay scale. And it was found, of course, that the perception of being poor or being paid less than others uh, had a devastating effect psychologically. And interestingly, it was found that the perception of being wealthy was also uh, caused anxiety and difficulty for people. So it doesn't actually matter if you think you're paid less or think you paid more, you'll suffer either way, it uh, turns out. So, um, so then we might think naturally, well, then equality. You know, we're all equal. And this is a, a, maybe the best of the options. But it reminds me a little bit of the way they say, what do they say, democracy is the worst political system except for all the others. <laughs> so, you know, maybe, maybe equality is a, a better option than superiority or inferiority. It's at least more subtle, right? Um, 
and it's also a value of our society. So, you know, I'm not. This is not a um, a light commentary in a sense. This is certainly a deep value that we like to think we have, but. One should not take oneself as equal or think of oneself as inferior or superior. There are three kinds of conceit, according to the Buddha. The conceit of superiority, of inferiority, and of equality. So thinking of yourself as equal is also conceit. Um, why? Because it's a comparison. You've ranked, you've created yourself, you've created another, and made a comparison. Given that everything changes, there's only one way equality can go toward inferiority, superiority, right? It's not stable. So it's, it becomes part of the whole continuum. So then, this creates a little bit of a challenge for us, right? If, if we can't choose better than, worse than, or equal to, What's left? What's left? So the answer is to see through that whole game, to see through it. It's all just a conceit, which means a conception. It's created, created by our mind. So the, the real meaning of conceit is to take real experience that's happening through our sense doors and make it into a concept, make it into an ideal that then has rankings or, or equality. But we've taken something that's real and made it into an abstract idea. And that is necessary for navigating the world. That's why I said see through not stop doing it. You'll have to do some kind of creation of concepts. I don't know how to get through a day without doing that. But the question is whether we believe them. Does Lou Michaels care that he missed the kicks in the 69 Super Bowl? He missed them, but did he suffer for it? Did he go through his whole life saying, oh my gosh, that's it. That was the low point, and I'll never recover from that. Or did he just go on? So the ability to see through the tendency to rank and judge and value and devalue uh, can add a lot of wisdom into the way that we interact in the world. It's not that things aren't different. The conceit of equality is also Another dimension of it is the belief that everything is equal. When is not? Um, I'm not equal to my deepest spiritual teachers. That would be wrong to think that. Right? And so the conceit of equality can also be uh, eliminating important differences that are important on the basis of wisdom. But the tendency to judge things as good or bad based on setting my own view as supreme among views, um, that's the problem. And so it becomes, when we start to see through the, the mind's tendency to rank based on our own preferences, then we can make choices based on things like wisdom and compassion. 
So there can be other forces that help us make choices besides the ranking of things as superior, inferior, or equal, according to our own views. One way to tap into this is to sense, to find that place in ourself that I would call fundamental worth, intrinsic worth. Can you find in your heart a sense that just by being alive, there's a certain value there? Not dependent on who you are, how old you are, where you live, what color your skin is, how what pay grade you're at. Is there some intrinsic worth? It may be subtler than you think to find, um, but it's very worth tapping into that. Because that, I believe, is the root of non-harming. Understanding fundamental worth that doesn't depend on anything else. From that place, one can't commit harm. So it's well worth trying to find that. I think this is what's pointed to, ultimately, with metta practice, with the deep love that we feel. It's not dependent on who the other person is. The aim is to, for it to become boundless. No boundary, not dependent on anything. So. We learn to find that place where we can stand on simply that which is, not that which is in relation to anything else. Mercy on all our failing little hearts, how they beat so sincerely. Mercy on this longing to shine, this reminder again to kneel. Not better, not worse, and not equal.